It is uh, a pleasure to be amongst you guys um, this morning and to be able to come and, on behalf of Open Doors, share this time with you. So firstly, thank you for having me. Um, like Craig introduced me and I've introduced, my name is Luke Menzo and I'm a, a volunteer speaker for Open Doors. And um, Anyone familiar with Open Doors, the work they do? Um, beautiful. Everyone from the first service put up their hand. Good, I did the right thing. Um, Open Doors, uh, for those who don't know, it's an organisation that exists to help people follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. And so on behalf of the estimated 340 million Christians who today face extreme persecution for their faith, I thank you for partnering with us and for taking the time um, to hear their stories and to validate them, to let them know they're not alone and that there are people around the world supporting them. Open Doors began in 1955 when a man named Brother Andrew began to smuggle Bibles into Eastern Europe. Um, he's got a beautiful book, um, God's Smuggler, which I'm sure obviously people nodding are familiar with Brother Andrew's work. Um, since then, Open Doors has expanded to work in over 70 countries. Um, and, you know, that is providing Bibles, providing education or support, and, yeah, allowing them to practically grow in the church. And now, the mission of Open Doors, it's, it's twofold. Uh, we work on the field to strengthen and prepare Christians living in persecution, but we also mobilise the Australian church uh, to identify with the global body of Christ. And you know, so in the field, we work uh, with local partners, people who actually know the needs and the desires of the local churches. And we are able to work with them to strengthen them and allow them to spread the gospel without um, fear or without you know, any limitations. Our mission is to help them, the local church, to transform their nation for Jesus. And so then in Australia, we actually work with Christians and local churches like we're doing this morning. Uh, and your support enables believers in some of the darkest places on the planet to be a light for Christ. Our mission is to make sure that the persecuted, persecuted church is not forgotten in any home, in any Bible study, in any church throughout Australia. And one of the ways that we do this, that we help mobilise Australia, is through our production of the World Watch List. Um, up on the screen next slide, you'll see this is a list that we make every year of the 50 hardest places to follow Jesus on the planet. So they're ranked from 1 to 50 um, due to persecution, whether that be outright violence against a Christian, whether that's the government outlawing Christianity. It could be due to religious things, you know, like you can't leave the Islamic faith and you get persecuted that way. It could be from the community shunning you or taking away all of your property, burning your crops if you're Christian, or to even your family rejecting you. Um, and it's a great way to be able to understand what it means to be a persecuted Christian. If you want to know more about this list, um, you can jump onto our website and uh, we've got a great interactive map there. You can click on and learn about all these different countries. I've also got a, a fact file on the back table, which has actually got an A4 page on each of these countries from 1 to 50. Uh, if you want to have a quick look and, and learn more, it's a great resource and a way to understand what it means to be a persecuted Christian. Um, the reason that I'm standing here before you this morning as a volunteer speaker, it's because I believe in the ministry of Open Doors, first and foremost. I know that hearing the stories and learning some of the things that these people go through, 
it actually has a profound way of changing and challenging your faith and changing the way you live. And I know that because it's changed mine. And the persecuted church, they're really some of the greatest spiritual mentors you could ask for because they're people who, by name, have actually overcome the bonds of cultural oppression to remain courageously close to Jesus. And in a world of rapidly changing religious freedoms, has there really ever been a better time for us here in the West to learn what it actually means to stay courageously close to Jesus? One of the things that makes Open Doors unique amongst other humanitarian charities is that we don't actually exist to end the cause for which we serve, that is, the persecution of Christians. And the reason for that is that we believe that persecution is actually a hallmark or a consequence of successful Christianity. That wherever the gospel is being shared, persecution will exist. And so our job It's not to end persecution or even to stop it growing. Because that would be easy. Just tell people to stop telling others about God. You know, don't talk about Jesus. Done. No more persecution. That's not what we're about. We're about empowering people to stand in the the face of persecution and shine as brightly as they can for Jesus, no matter the cost and no matter the location. And so my hope for you and for me this morning is that we can be encouraged. We can be challenged and inspired, uh, and that we can learn from our persecuted brothers and sisters just how to live bold and courageous lives for Jesus. This morning we're talking about the body, uh, and it's such an incredible and beautiful creation that the body is. Um, next slide, thanks. I mean, what our bodies can do, they're simply amazing. I mean, think of the Olympics a few months back and the Paralympics, people that have trained their bodies to overcome what any normal person should be able to do. Um, as I mentioned, I've got three little kids and seeing them figure out you know, what hands are for and then how to use their feet and how to balance on a scooter. You know, it's incredible watching the brain work and the arms and the muscles and everything figure themselves out. And it's this mystery, this wonder that Paul taps into in his letter to the Corinthians. If you've got your Bible with you, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, where our main text from this morning comes. It's also will be up on the screen. Oh, no, that's Proverbs. Wrong one. Um, cha- starting chapter 12, verse 12 from 1 Corinthians. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but, is, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason Stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. 
And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now the context of this letter um, that Paul writes to the Corinthians, he's actually addressing problems that have arisen in the church in Corinth. In this particular section, uh, Paul is addressing issues relating to when the church gathers for worship. Um, and he's trying to uh, get across the idea that the gathering is actually a place where God's Spirit should be working through everybody in a unified way. He goes on to build this metaphor that the church can be, is this human body, that each part serves a unique and important role. And you know, a lot of us are probably quite familiar with this passage, and when you hear this, it's often talked about in the congregational sense, that you know, we each have our own gifts, whether that's you know, playing in the band or figuring out the IT or serving coffee or visiting those who couldn't make it to church. We each have our roles that you know, fulfill and bring together the body of Christ. And together, as a congregation, you lack no good thing. But I want to take a step back from that. Um, the next logical step back is to go in the local body. You know, together as different churches in your area, you are the body of Christ. You know, I'm talking the, the, the Catholics, the Lutherans, the Anglican, the Baptist, the Presbyterian, whatever. Um, you know, you're all working together. Uh, there's a brother in Iraq who has this very unique and different view of the body of Christ. Um, Iraq is ranked 11th on our world watch list, just for reference. Um, this brother, he says that uh, we in the West, when we think of the body of Christ, we're often thinking of you know, arms and legs and fingers and toes. But he says uh, in Iraq, they think of it as blood, bones, muscle and skin. Because if you remove even one element of the body... The body can't stand. Take Catholics, for example. They're like the bones. They're rigid. You can't bend them. They don't move. But if you take the bones away from the body, it flops to the floor. It can't stand. The Anglican, they're like the muscle. You know, They're kind of rigid, but you can bend them a bit and then move all the way to the Pentecostals. They're like the blood, going wherever the heart pumps them, free to move and flow, and everyone in between. Together... Local churches, different denominations, are the body of Christ. You're not in competition with each other. Um, and I just wanted to encourage you this morning to, you know, don't be scared of reaching out with, to your fellow brothers and sisters, even with, you know, different, you know, things that you may not agree on. There's so much more that unifies us. And if we work together, you know, different churches have different skill sets. We may be really good at you know, one particular thing, whereas another church is good at this, and you can work together to actually be the body of Christ in your local community. So I just wanted to encourage you in that this morning. Um, finally, we're going to zoom out again from this local picture to the global body of Christ. Um, this brother from Iraq, he goes on with his metaphor. Remember, we're thinking blood, uh, bones, muscles, and skin. 
He says that when a body is fighting a wound or infection, that muscles contract, blood flow increases, other parts of the body rush to that area to protect it and to help. He says that they see that in Iraq. The body of Christ in Iraq is hurting, but the global body, through prayer, through provision of aid, is actually rushing to protect the body in Iraq. And it's such a beautiful and poetic picture of how the body of Christ was designed to work. And it unveils this core truth about the body, and that is unity over uniformity. You know, we all come from different backgrounds, especially when you're thinking global, different you know, uh, cultures, different ways of life. We're all very different. We were created that way. But the body of Christ transcends our differences, and we are one body through the unifying power of the Spirit. And so that's all well and good. That's the theology of it. But what does that have to do with us here? And how does that have to relate to being part of a persecuted church? How are we still together? As we begin to recognize ourselves as part of this global body, the persecuted church and the free church as one, we begin to learn a thing or two from our persecuted body parts. Uh, and what it really comes down to is this. Next slide, please. If you've never considered yourself being part of this unified body, um, the phrase that I love is this. What they need, I give. And what they learn, I need. What they need, financial aid, through prayer, through support, we, in our freedoms here in the West, can give that to them. And then in turn what they learn, how to live bold and courageous lives for Jesus, we need in our comfort here to wake us up and remind us that we are part of something bigger. Uh, the persecuted church, they have a very unique way of pushing our understanding of acceptable Christianity past what our limits would normally be. For example, we're seeing a church rise in the Middle East that will put a prayer mat on the floor kneel and face Jerusalem to pray five times a day. We're seeing believers from a Muslim background who would have to fast for the month of Ramadan are still fasting, but in pursuit of Jesus and praying that their brothers and sisters, their Muslim brothers and sisters, would come to know Jesus. We're seeing people who were previously under the Quranic law and had to learn the Quran cover to cover become Christians Grab a Bible and learn it cover to cover because that's where you start. What's your acceptable Bible memorization limit? It's stories like Sally's we need. Next slide, thanks. Sally is from Palestine. She's from a Muslim background and she came to her faith in her mid-teens. Her father was part of an extremist group and Sally recalls as she was growing up, sitting around the, lounge room, the dining room table with her father and her siblings talking about jihad. One day, her sister developed an eye problem and the family couldn't afford to pay for the treatment. Uh, so a local church offered to cover the costs and her father was happy to take their money. He just didn't want anything to do about the gospel. So when her father was out, some of the church members would visit Sally and talked to her about Jesus, and they gave her a Bible. After several months of reading the Bible, Sally prayed a prayer one night. Next slide, thanks. 
and said, God, I was a Muslim. I now need to be a Christian. That night, Sally had a dream where her whole family were in line waiting to see Jesus. And Sally said in that moment, she felt warm and loved for the first time and at that point committed her life to following Jesus. But to this day, Sally hasn't actually told her family of her decision. Sally told us that when she was a Muslim, she prayed five times a day to a God that terrified her. But then when she met Jesus, a God of grace who actually reached out to her, she prayed 10 times a day. But the sad side of the story is that um, you know, afterwards, after Sally was married, she moved away from her family and she went to visit a church. And during one of the services, they said, to be a good Christian, you have to pray one time a day. Sally asks, how after a lifetime of seeking God, when I finally find him, can I not express it the only way I know how? What's your acceptable prayer life limits? In our reading, Paul mentions that uh, the less honourable parts of the body are often treated with special honour. And perhaps in this global body of Christ, our persecuted brothers and sisters are these less honourable parts. Because, I mean, you think about it, some of the things that they go through, some of the horrific things that happen to them, it makes us uncomfortable. You know, we don't really want to hear it. We're not going to put it on a pretty motivational picture on the wall. Um, but they seem to get special attention from the Spirit. You know, there are so many stories of Jesus doing incredible things, showing up in dreams, having radical answers to prayer. One of my all-time favorite stories from Open Doors um, is from one of our guys from Open Doors Australia. He went on his first trip into China to smuggle Bibles. And so they were up one night on top of this mountain overlooking Hong Kong, and the next morning they were going to go down through this security check to get the Bibles into China. They had these big briefcases, big bag suitcases full of them. Um, but they had to get through this, these x-ray machines. And they're like, well, the x-ray machines will definitely see the Bibles. So he asked one of the locals, well, you know, what do you do? What's your technique? How do you get these Bibles through? And one of the locals was like, well, last time someone was here doing this, we just were standing in line and we prayed that you know, God would be able to get these Bibles through. And then the x-ray machines uh, blew up and set on fire. And so we just walked through. So let's do that again. That seemed to work. And so this guy from Australia, he's like, oh, okay, let's pray. Dear God, I pray that tomorrow morning when we go down to um, go through the security check that you would make the x-ray machines blow up and catch on fire so we can get this word through to your people. Amen. Doing the right thing. He's the guy with the Bible. He's this big spiritual leader here. Anyway, he went to bed and the next morning they get up and they're loading onto the bus to go down to this check. And um, one of the locals comes running with a piece of paper, waving it over his head with this huge grin on his face. Um, and when he finally gets, he jumps on the bus and he says, this is a printout from one of the local newspapers. And it reads that at 8.30 last night, the exact time of their prayer meeting, there was a malfunction in the x-ray machines on one of the border um, x-ray sites and they caught on fire and they'll be out of action today. Sorry for any disruptions. And sure enough, when they get down there, there's yellow tape, there's scorch marks, there's charring everywhere, and they walk through a security check, no questions asked, with these bags of Bibles to go give to the Chinese church. And there's this incredible story, and I'm hearing giggles and laughter, and it is, it fills us with joy. And it's something to remember that the persecuted church, whilst 
you hear all these hard and challenging, confronting stories, it is the most joy-filled thing on the planet. When one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. We should be celebrating these amazing miracles. Um, but the question is asked then, well, why don't we see crazy, radical answer to prayer? You know, when we pray for you know, healings or something to fall into our lap. And while I don't have all of the answers, um, Psalm 26 does point us in a certain direction. Uh, and that will pop up on the screen. Psalm 26 from verse 1 says, Vindicate me, Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord and have not faltered. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. For I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. So I want to ask you, as you look at those words, do you live always mindful of God's unfailing love in reliance of his faithfulness? Because our persecuted brothers and sisters don't have a choice. They have to. And you know, perhaps that is why God shows up in these radical ways. Someone who does live this way is a woman called Helen Bahane. Um, she's from Eritrea, which is ranked sixth on our world watch list. And she was arrested when she was caught singing a gospel song on the front steps of her church. Uh, she was taken to the desert and placed in a metal shipping container for two and a half years as her sentence. But what's incredible is that it isn't actually illegal to be Christian in Eritrea. It's only illegal to share the gospel publicly. You can be a Christian at home, you can read and pray, gather as a church privately, that's fine. Just don't talk about it in the open. If she had taken two steps backwards and closed the doors into her church, no charge, no questions asked. And all Helen had to do to be released was to sign a piece of paper saying that she will not publicly share Jesus with those around her. But she refused to sign it. And when eventually she got out and we gave her the support that she needed, we asked why she wouldn't if she could do all this at home. But she answered without missing a beat, because Jesus Christ is the medicine of the world and he must be shared. That's what drove her. And to give you a bit of context of what Helen's life was like for this two and a half years, these containers were filled with 20 plus people there wasn't actually enough room for everyone to lie down and sleep at the same time. So you had to sort of take it in shifts. It was so freezing cold at night, you'd suffer from hypothermia. So hot during the day that if you were unlucky enough to be on the outside of the group and your arms touched the side of the container, it would burn to the skin. To this day, Helen still wears long scarves and shawls to hide the burns that line her arms. When Helen was caught singing praises to God. She would often be stripped naked and forced to kneel while carrying large rocks so the weight would push her knees into the rough ground for hours at a time. Once when she was caught sending notes of encouragement to other inmates with Bible verses on them, she was again stripped and brought into a central courtyard so that everyone could see what was going to happen. The guards, they asked her, Helen, where is your Bible? She said, I don't have one. They asked again, Helen, where is your Bible? She says, I don't have one. They asked, is it in your head? She said, yes, it's in my head. And so they said, well, we're going to have to beat it out of you. 
They proceeded to beat Helen with a wooden bat. Um, But halfway through the beating, she stopped and looked at the guards and said, I do not hate you, for you are simply carrying out an order. But I need you to know that I am carrying out an order too, and that is to not deny Jesus. So carry on. When they finally finished beating her and threw Helen's lifeless body back into the container, she lay on the ground and she began to sing. She sang, Thank you for the cold nights. Thank you for the hot days. Thank you for the bugs that bite my skin. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Helen says that like driving a nail into wood, every beating, every blow, it drew her closer to God. She said, he suffered for me. How can I not expect to suffer for him? Helen lives always mindful of God's unfailing love and has lived in reliance on his faithfulness. Next slide, thanks. One of the questions we get at Open Doors a lot is, why doesn't God just stop persecution and the suffering of his beloved people? And our clue gives us a bit of a, a, a sorry, our text gives us a bit of a clue. Uh, verse 18 says that in fact God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. I believe that God has a purpose for persecution. And suffering isn't the end of the chapter. In fact, it's the beginning of the next one. The world will try and tell you that suffering is a betrayal of the gospel. But That's so wrong. It's not a betrayal of the gospel. It's the essence of it. It's what Jesus came to do, to suffer for us. You know, there's so many Christians that celebrate when they get sent to prison because they get to bring the word of God into that unholy place. Even think biblically in the book of Acts. You know, in chapter 1, Luke records that Jesus says, You will go and be my disciples and you will spread my word into Jerusalem and to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And chapter 1, they stay in Jerusalem. Chapter 2, they stay in Jerusalem. 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, they're all staying in Jerusalem. It's not until chapter 8 that someone gets killed for their faith that things start to move. Acts 8 verse 1 says that um, this is Saul approved of their killing of Stephen, the first martyr, and that on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and that uh, all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Hey, look, that's where Jesus said they'd end up. And then verse 3 says that Saul began to destroy the church. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And I'm sure if we were there today, and if we were part of that, we're going, all right, that's it, the Jesus movement's over, we're all going to get arrested by Saul and get killed, the end. But we know that that is not how it happened. The next, very next verse says that those who were scattered preached the gospel wherever they went. This wasn't the end of the Jesus movement. It was how he launched his ministry, how he launched the church through persecution. And so I want to remind you, you're a part of this global body of Christ. You're in the body, but are you in the fight? Remember, when the body suffers, muscles contract, things rush to protect that area. The persecuted church, relationship with it, it's a two-way street. What they need, I give, and what they learn, I need. And so if you wanted to jump on board, if you're finding 
that this is something you're interested in, you want to be able to support our ministry of Open Doors. As Craig said, there's a little QR codes on these slips. You can, if you want to join financially or come and chat with me afterwards, I'd love to chat with you about that. Um, but one of the biggest and best ways you can help is through prayer. Um, every few months, we actually publish a prayer guide um, and we get prayer requests from the field, from our brothers and sisters that actually work with the local church um, and they produce. It's really easy. Every day, there's a country, there's a prayer request from that country, from the church, so you know what to pray for and you can pray it. Because it's really hard to know what to pray for in these countries. But this is a beautiful thing. We're not just praying for the church, we're praying with them, praying the things that they actually want prayer for. Um, and it's a beautiful way to do that. If you want some hard copies of this, I do have some on the back table. Or you can jump online and you get them sent out every three months to your email or physically, whatever you want. So I encourage you to join us in prayer. Um, there's a beautiful story from the prayer guide um, from a, one of our partners that works with North Korean Christians. I just want to read this for you. It says, Matthew is a local Open Doors partner helping North Korean Christians in China. It's a dangerous job, but your prayers make a difference. We, he quotes, In difficult times in the field, with our desperate hearts, we try our best to be alert and pray. Sometimes I suddenly feel very encouraged and strengthened. That's when I felt that somebody is praying for me. I know that many people pray for us, our brothers and sisters all around the world. Thanks to your prayers, we are able to continue our ministry and we are able to survive here. Even for those who are caught by authorities or who are lost, I believe your prayers keep them strong in the midst of the difficulties. You know, and the beauty of prayer is that even when we don't have the words, the Holy Spirit can intercede for us with groans that words cannot express. Um, uh, there are many other ways to support the Ministry of Open Doors. If you want to check it out on the back table, I've got other ways you can write letters to support, it, to support persecuted Christians. You can crochet toys to give to the children of the persecuted church. Um, you can listen to our podcast and get more familiar with these stories. Come and talk to me or see the back table if you have anything you'd like to know. But please remember that a relationship with a persecuted church, it will push your limits of what acceptable Christianity is. That their stories can actually help us live always mindful of God's unfailing love, relying on his faithfulness. Remember that suffering is not a betrayal of the gospel, but it's the essence of it. That suffering is not the end of the story, it's just the beginning of the next chapter. Uh, to close, one of our team in Ethiopia said that the only church, the only body of believers they know is the one in the Bible, and it's persecuted. When we practice our faith to the extreme, persecution will come. In fact, there's only one sort of believers that pops up when, when faith is practiced to its fullest, and they're always persecuted. If we're not being persecuted, we shouldn't thank God for our safety. We should question it, because we may not be living our faith to its fullest. Uh, we met with an elderly Chinese believer, a man who grew up through communism and then has witnessed the rise of radical Islam in his country. Um, and after hearing his incredible stories, we asked, how can we pray for the Chinese church? And he replied, pray that persecution never leaves China. He said that they see the church in Australia as a prophetic example of what happens when faith becomes free, that the value of Jesus drops. Pray that persecution never leaves China. 
lost for words, uh, our workers went, well, uh, well, can you pray for the church in Australia then? And he simply responded, yes, I pray you'd be persecuted. <laughs> and Paul wrote in 2 Timothy that everyone who wants to leave, who lead a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Faith and persecution are inseparable until Christ returns and the world comes to know him. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.